couple of cool things happening with Sensorina and the Hockey Shop. Source for Sports Langley, thehockeyshop.com. Let's get you right into it. It's In Goal Radio, the podcast with Kevin Woodley and David Hutchison. Welcome to the program, ladies and gentlemen. Darren Millard with you again. Our feature interview today, Thomas Millich of the gold medal winning Team Canada at the World Junior Hockey Championship. And our gear segment is going to focus on your brain and how to keep it smelling nice and all spit and spiffy. Uh, and well, that, that's important as Woody laughs at me. Like looks are important. Smells important. Being uh, comfortable in that mask is important. A little mask refurbishment, right? Look good, smell good, play good. Yeah. I just, the, the, the idea of my brain smelling good was, was that there was the chuckle. <laughs> spiffy, spiffy. Instead of smelling burnt rubber, and uh, broken steel and on the cage, you get to smell nice and clean uh, out there. Uh, hey, we got a lot going on. Now, I want to get into uh, this idea of the more shots you face, the better you play and the better record you have. It kind of is counterintuitive to what you would think. But uh, Stuart Skinner will never forget his rookie season in the National Hockey League. No, congratulations to Stuart and his wife, Chloe, on welcoming baby Bo, seven pounds, four ounces. Stuart, of course, wears number 74 for the Edmonton Oilers. Um, I guess like he could have taken a haircut on that contract extension and made it 7.4 million instead of 7.8, but I'm probably taking the extra 400K rather than the matching numbers, especially since he signed it before baby Bo was welcomed into the world this week. It's been a hell of a year. First time, full-time NHL goalie, um, pushing for more minutes, playing ahead of Jack Campbell to this point, and starting a family, new contract. Like, been a heck of a year for Stuart Skinner. I would change my number before I take a haircut to fit my number. Yeah, I think I'd be willing to go to number 78 or number 82, (laughs) or I guess I can't go all the way to 99, but... I, I've been putting his name in in the fan balloting that uh, wraps up uh, for the NHL All-Star game because I, I consider Stewart as good as anybody else when it comes to the next guy to join Logan Thompson at the NHL All-Star game in Sunrise Hutch. I think your vote is probably the correct one and the one that I'd be using. I don't even know how to add to that, Darren. He's been having a fantastic first year as a, as a rookie and, and earning more and more minutes. And uh, wouldn't it be great to see two rookies there in the lineup together? Bet you that's never Story. happened before. Oh, that's oh. a that's a that's a good that's a good pull, Hutch. I'd be honest with you, like uh, that's a tough one for the Pacific Division. Like who is going after or along with Logan Thompson? It's like, and I'll th- I'll give you another name, guys. I'll give you another name. How about Marty Jones? How about Marty? How about Jones? the season that how about the season that Marty Jones is having? And his numbers, I know they don't jump off the page. His adjusted numbers don't jump off the page either. The wins um, do. Of, they sure do. And I think a lot of his numbers got crushed by that 9-8 game in, in L.A. Remember, the Kings pulled their goalie and went Jonathan Quick, followed by Cal Peterson, who, who hasn't been in the league since. And Marty stood in for all eight and got the dub. And I think his numbers really got beat up by that. Um, at the end of the day, like he's playing really well right now. It's not quite a UC Saros level heater, but he's, he's, play- he's making the saves they need him to make. He's been really steadying for a team that needed a steadying influence in goal. And I honestly, when I, when I look at the comparables and I look at the underlying numbers around the Pacific division and think of the all-star game, man, Marty Jones would be a worthy, uh, worthy participant. 
Well, unexpected in the Pacific Division, when you look at uh, goaltenders uh, basically helping save seasons, uh, Seattle and L.A. are both challenging for first place, but without Martin Jones, didn't see that coming, or Phoenix Copley, that was from uh, left field. Uh, they both stepped in and done an amazing job. And, and and Copley, like a guy that we know pretty well from the North Pole. Uh, we talked about it last week, the, the All-Alaska game with him and Jeremy Swayman. I, it's, it is kind of remarkable. You're right. And some of the biggest names, like obviously here in Vancouver, Thatcher Demko struggled at the beginning, and he's now, you know, we're, we're, we're past the six-week point. Um, he's skating, but there's no timeline on his return. And Jacob Markstrom hasn't, you know, a guy who was a Vesna Trophy finalist last year, and his numbers you know, are are down well into the negatives relative to expected when I when I look at the clear sight numbers. So um you're right, Jack Campbell too. Right? He's actually had a the last couple starts after switching gear uh have been better for him. His numbers are starting to get better, but there's nobody there's nobody in the Pacific division that's near the top of the NHL, let's put it that way. And there's a lot more guys that you would have expected to be in that conversation that are on the other end of that list creating opportunities for guys like Phoenix Copley. And Martin Jones. And hey, I think we'll give ourselves a little backpat here. We called Logan Thompson playing well at the beginning of this season. There were signs that he was capable of this. Uh, John Gibson, the last rookie goaltender named to a National Hockey League All-Star game. And for Jack Campbell, I don't know where you guys are on this, but he made a save the other day that was spectacular coming across. Glove stop. Everybody in the rink gave him acknowledgement. The LA Kings, two players, tapped on the pads and were joking around. And two minutes later, they went to video review and determined that the puck crossed the line in his glove. I, I don't think that should count. Goalie union card, that shouldn't count. You make the glove save and you hold on, whether the puck's in the net or not, it should be a stop. Hutch? Full stop. I agree with you. Those are beer league rules. You tr- if I make a spectacular save and you try and tell me the puck was a quarter an inch over the line, you better run for your life. <laughs> yeah. Good point. And, and I'd be right behind you i'm always behind everybody because I'm, I'm really slow but i've got the corollary to that rule which is after making a spectacular save the whistle should just blow immediately because i did see and i can't remember the goaltender unfortunately make a diving paddle stop fairly recently and then the rebound went into the net and that's just mm-hmm. that's not fair it should be considered a well, showstopper and the whistle blows the number of times I've been writing, like covering games and uh, here in Vancouver, I'm 20 plus years into covering a game and I'll make a note after a guy makes a spectacular save and you're like, oh, that's going in the story. That's going in the game story. And within a minute, the puck goes in and you're like, that's not right. Oh man, it should, it, it should still go in the game story, but you're kind of like, uh, it's no longer as relevant because it didn't, it didn't matter 30 seconds or 45 seconds later. It, it kills me because I want to highlight those beautiful saves. Well, you got to be UC Saros and you got to stop them all. Oh my god. That, that's goodness. what you have to do. He is on a heater. I want to call UC right now and ask him how big the puck looks. Um it would be a short answer, but he would still give us an answer. Like I we what is it what like in the zone? Like it's sort of a cliche, but he's in it right now. No, like another 38 on 39 against the Calgary Flames last night. We all know about the 64 save game. He followed that up with a shutout. Um man, he just looks Game, he's making the game look easy. And yeah, interestingly and ironically, as we have Thomas Millich on as a guest, um, it really is hard for me to believe that you can watch UC Saros play like that and tell me that there are a bunch of teams, and I don't know how many, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's more than 10, 
that wouldn't even let their scouts submit a report on the guy because of his height. What do you think the turnaround was from the start of the season where he wasn't in top form to right now where he's facing a barrage of shots and is winning hockey games and trying to bring this team into the Stanley Cup playoff position? It's a good question. And I think it would require a deeper statistical dive. I'd have to sort of look at the splits and see if they're actually, because that's the one thing. Like we can look at all the different shot types at ClearSight. So if I have a date on when things started to turn, I could tell you where the performance got better. But again, that's just the end result. What triggered it? Is there something different? Like when I watched him and I haven't watched as closely as I'd like to, but in the past couple of games, like you'd really have to look at, you know, has he changed anything? Is setup? Is he managing his depth differently? Are they defending differently? Are they defending better? Because they're giving up a ton of shots. But I'll give you the example of that Carolina game. And to come back to your comment about, you know, why do goalies so many around the league? We always see that stat like he is, you know, five and one when he makes 40 plus saves. Well, hey, if your goalie makes 40 plus saves, chances are, you know, even though your team's not playing well, they're going to get a lift from it. But on those nights, so many of them, what I notice is the number of high danger chances quite often doesn't go up. The number of low danger does. And in the case of that Carolina Hurricanes game where it was 67 shots by the NHL count, surprisingly, ClearSight had 63 because they find the NHL overcount shots on net significantly. That was only by four. 40 of them were very low percentage. So if you have 40 shots in a night, that you know, now other than fatigue and maybe making a mistake mentally as the shots pile up, 40 shots that are like what I call 99 percenters, and in this case, they're actually more than 99%, like 99.5% of the time you stop them kind of thing. It's a pretty good way to start feeling good about your game. That's a lot of touches where the result is a positive as a goalie, a positive trigger, a positive moment, a positive finish to that to that shot, a positive result. And, and I think that's why you see so many of these stats where guys that play face 40 plus shots have these great records or they have these great performances is because in a lot of those nights, they're stopping a lot of shots that frankly don't end up in the net very often. And they do little but build the goalie's confidence. And on the counterpoint, one of the reasons I think save percentage is going down around the league and Carolina is an exception to this rule. More and more teams aren't taking those shots. They're not looking for those shots. They have goalie coaches in their ear saying that's a turnover. You know, hold on to the puck, find something better, regroup, live to fight another day, and let's not just hand the puck to the other team with a with a shot that goes in point zero 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 one percent of the time. Yeah, not just a turnover, but a chance to help the opposing goaltender get into a rhythm as well. So I I can right. I can see Woody would not be the guy sitting in the stands screaming shoot 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 for his favorite team. Oh, biggest pet peeve yeah. when a new goalie comes into the game or a young goalie you don't yeah, know about, throw the puck on and net. the announcers. The announcers come on and like, oh, this guy's not playing well, or this guy just got in the game. You got to throw everything on the net. I'm like, why? You want to warm him up? He didn't get a warm up. You guys want to give it to him? Like, create offense. Don't make him feel good. Throw pucks on net. Like, he's still an NHL goaltender. Even if he's never been an NHL goaltender, you want him to feel good about being in the NHL? Just throw pucks on net, guys. No truth to the thinking of just put him under siege and, and fire everything and, and he's not warmed up. I think if you've got some quality, that would be a good thing, but yeah, where's that line and how can you even know that you're going to kind of do that? But why not have the guy just sit there and, you know, feel, feel nervous for a little while longer before you generate some legit scoring we'll chances. Freeze him out. Ready for you. Yeah, there you go. It's like the old NFL timeout before the kicker can, can go for the long field goal. Yeah. 
And Darren, it is a fair point. Like, I guess it depends what you're throwing at net. If you're throwing a bunch of easy stuff from the outside with with little to no traffic, then no. But be, I mean, if you're if you're putting the guy, like you said, under siege, there's chaos. He's having trouble finding the puck. Because again, in the NHL level, it's your first time. Like the pace and the difficulty of sort of tracking and finding pucks through bodies moving around all over the place, and the size of those bodies and the strength of them. That's one of the challenges of the NHL. But so often, it's just that cliche: new goalie get pucks on net, like. You know, if your strategy is like the Carolina Hurricanes to get stuff to the net and funnel bodies and players and create second chance opportunities, and that's how you play normally, great. But if you're a dynamic offensive team that creates um, quality chances on the regular, then shifting your philosophy to just getting pucks on net because there's a new goalie in there that isn't warm or hasn't played a lot in the NHL is frankly to me absurd. It reminds me again of the Carolina Hurricanes of days past, and, and this was especially under Bill Peters where they would dominate the shot chart and you talk to the Carolina goalies and they're like, all we do is warm the other guy up. I don't see a shot for five minutes. And then when we eventually do lose possession, it's a two on one the other way, like a little bit of hyperbole maybe there in terms of the quality of the chance coming the other way. Um, but certainly it was frustrating for their goalies because they could see literally they told me all we do is warm the other guy up and they could see it. So I'm telling you, there's something to it. Uh, Hutch, can you keep Woody entertained for two seconds? Uh, I just have to go grab my my announcer handbook and scribble that one cliche out about uh, throwing everything Darren, have you on used that one? Throwing it uh, for sure. I've used that one. Guarantee I've heard, used that one. I've used them all, but uh, but I won't be using that one again. Per Woody and Hutch, do not use warm up and throw everything at the goal. Okay, I'm back. Uh, <laughs> oh, what's what's going on at the hockey shop these days? You know what's going on? New gear is starting to trickle in. Yes. We don't have it this week. Obviously, we're going to do the mask refurb. Um, an important thing, actually, for those of you who are, you know got one that stinks or is maybe starting to fall apart and becomes a bit of a safety issue. I know Hutch has been doing a mask refurb project himself uh, over on the island. So we'll get to that in a minute. But there is new gear showing up next week based on the shipping order. And the expected arrival, as we record this, it's not in the shop, but it will be by the time we're back with you. The new True PX3 is in the store and will be on the rack and available to check out and purchase and online as well. And that means it's time for us to go in and do a review. I already shared a little bit of the tidbit behind sort of uh, some of the, the way that pad came about with Freddie Anderson being a part of maybe not the design process, but his specs and his preferences leading into how that pad was built. Um, So looking forward to checking that out. And more than anything, I think it's a sign that these things are coming. There's going to be a little bit of a lull from time to time here, but new equipment is starting to come in at the hockey shop and the hockey shop.com. As a matter of fact, as some of the other companies get caught up on gear that was maybe we introduced a while back, um, but it never really made its way to the store on mass because of all the things that were going on in the world in terms of supply chain issues and shipping. Um, there's a bunch of new stuff on its way. Warrior G6, uh, a whole bunch of that. I mean, again, cool product we touched on once, but then it never really made its way into retail in large quantities. That's going to be in store as well. So lots of exciting things at the hockey shop. Uh, and the hockeyshop.com. Make sure you check them out, whether it's sale items, still some stuff left over from, from the Boxing Day sales. They try and make room for all this new stuff, 
or the latest and greatest, as we say, True PX3 this week, some Warrior G6 coming in after that, and then we'll be into the 2023 season soon enough with all the new gear. Interesting, the mask refurb gear segment that you guys dial into in a couple of minutes uh, does offer some tips on things that I have done that I didn't realize that I shouldn't have been doing uh, on my own. So there's the great advice on how to keep your mask fresh and sharp and looking good and smelling good. But then there's also the, hey, maybe just keep in mind that you shouldn't be going down this path. Um, Looking forward to expanding on that. But let's get to the gear segment. Presented by The Hockey Shop, source for sports Langley, thehockeyshop.com. Dealing with your bucket, here's Woody and Cam. Back here at The Hockey Shop with Cam Matwiv to talk a little mask refurbishing. And there are companies that will do top to bottom for you. That's not what we're talking here. We're not talking about like pulling all the foam out and redoing it. Because, Cam, that's not really something you, well, say that you don't recommend it. There are stages where you can get away with it. But understand, folks, that if you do change the foams in a mask, those little stickers on the side that say you're CSA or HEC certified no longer apply. Correct. Um, So there are foam kits here, replacement foam that they can buy, generic sheets from Nash that you can use to sort of replace parts. But if you're looking to do a full refurbish, change all the foams out in a mask, um you know frankly cam that's not something you guys sell no and again it's has a lot to do with the csa certification for a mask and things like that and usually when a mask is getting to that point that it needs to be refurbed good chance it's probably time for it to be replaced yeah and think about all the money that you spend as parents as goalies uh on sticks and pads and paint jobs and all those things the reality is uh, your head's pretty important, so keeping it safe. Like if the mask is, the foam is literally falling apart. You've worn it so much. There's a chance yeah. that it might be time to replace it anyway. And, and uh, yes, it is one of those things that obviously I have seen, and it gets bad. But it's not only foam that can get grody inside of a mask. As and part of your mask maintenance, that's part of this. Is this? So we shouldn't have called this repurposing. We should have called this more mask maintenance. Some yes. of the things that you can change that you have parts for here quite easily. Um, that will just help keep it fresh, help keep it lasting longer um, and not get gross and start falling apart. And we'll start with the first one, uh, straps, strapping. I mean, the elastic, Easy. I mean, it just, it soaks up sweat. It gets yes. pretty gross. Um, what are the different kit options you have in terms of the straps that attach the back plate to the rest of the mask? So one of my favorite ones and the one that I'm currently installing into my mask, actually, uh, one of my uh, pro hidden harnesses. So um it's the same, um, like basically Nash elastic material, uh, but it exposes your back plate. So say you have some paint on there and you kind of want to show it off a little bit, you still get that same five point connection, but you get to expose that back plate and show off the paint. So, so if you're showing off the back plate of your mask, that means you've got your back turned to everyone. So when you're fishing the buck out of your net, eh, Ken? Nah, not quite. It's, it's for all the people that stand behind me, for all those crowds of people that see my awesomeness when I play. So, oh, okay. That's what it is. Um, what are some of the other options you've got in terms of strapping, in terms of uh, hardware kits that you can, you know, again, um, rust is another issue on, on the bolts that hold everything together, cage to mask and things like that. Correct. So chin cups, bolts, things like that. So starting with chin cups as a replacement. Again, easy thing that we have your chin cups get grody uh, again it's something that sits there and absorbs a ton of sweat basically as you're playing 
Um, also your water bottle and stuff like that. Water's getting in there as well. So easy replacement, quick and easy swap out. While you're swapping that out, a good chance to uh, check out the hardware for your mask all the way throughout. So I'm talking about their cage clips, screws, all that kind of jazz. Bauer makes an entire replacement kit. Um, it's one of those things I actually recommend every goalie has uh, in their bag. You never know when something, you know, you take a shot off the top of the helmet or something like that. You need to quickly swap out a screw or something like that. This might even be something that happens mid-game. So if you're lucky enough to be on a team that has trainers and things like that, this is something that you should be carrying or your trainer should have for you on the bench for sure. Coveted mask. It looks like you've got a kit from them as well. Right. Chin cups. Interesting. One of the things we talked about uh, replacing it. Um, Toothless Woody can tell you that chin cups matter. Uh, I have an article that's out just now talking about with NHL goalies. It's amazing how common it is for them to lose teeth. And most time it's because the chin cup has gotten a little too loose. The face is a little too close. So if you've got one that's just sort of started to fall apart or it's got an elastic component to it and that elastic has gotten stretched out, replacing it would be a good idea. Uh, otherwise, as you move up the levels and the shots get harder, it is quite possible. As a matter of fact, I'm shocked at how often it happens. Having talked to a lot of NHL guys that, you know, frankly, I didn't know had fake teeth. Um, very, very common. Shot hits the chin. Bottom of the opening is close to your mouth. If there's too much travel in that chin cup, to borrow the phrase that Craig Anderson used, he's lost his front teeth three different times. Uh, it will pop up and knock your front teeth, maybe not out, but cause enough damage that they need to come out. So maintaining your chin cup as much as Darren uh, loves to rag us about making sure you have a dangler on there. Maintaining your chin cup is an important part of mass safety as well. Yeah, that's there we go. There's one we didn't quickly mention too. Obviously, we got quite a few danglers uh, there as well. If you're looking at your dangler, it's all scratched up. It's just like a player visor. If you can't see, that's a problem. Might be a time to replace your dangler as well. But uh, what about the, the other one is uh, headbands. Sweatbands. Yeah. And you got some, uh, you got Bauer, you got like all the stock ones, but uh, you got any of them ShamWows? Moment. I think we're out, but I'm sure that's a cue to make sure that we're going to have some more coming back you in. order some because I use that and it is beautiful. It soaks up so much sweat. All right, you heard it here first, our advertising man for ShamWow sweatbands. I like the ShamWow. Chop, chop. I'm all about the slap chop too. <laughs> Don't make me do the full advertorial. Okay, Cam, so basically at the end of the day, there are a lot of different things you can do to keep your mask in best shape, which will make it last longer. Correct. There is also a fine line between what you can fix and what you can't fix. And as usual, the best way to get the answers is to call you and your crew because they will give you the honest answers. Folks, I've been in here personally. I've watched parents come in. Oh, my kids moved up a level. I want to spend $1,000 on the best mask. And Cam and his guys will be like, okay, but the adult mask and the level he's at, it doesn't fit. Like They will give you an honest answer. I've watched him basically turn down a sale of a higher price product because it wasn't actually going to keep the kid any safer. They will give you honest answers about you know, whether that mask is savable, what things you can do to keep it fresh, uh, whether it's time to just replace it. So give them a call if you've got any questions about mask refurbishing, about you know, the steps you can do safely, where that line exists uh, in your world. Uh, the number they can get you, Cam? 604-589-8299 or 1-800-567-7790. And of course, you can always find them at thehockeyshop.com. Thanks, Cam. That's really cool. And all the different options uh, that you can get into when you're talking about uh, just making sure that your mask is up to date and as uh, prepared as it can be to protect yourself 
Uh, nice. Thank you very much for the dangler mention. Yes, we got to take care of our boy Darren and his yeah. danglers. Um, now, I got to say, and, and we mentioned it in the segment, there are things that the hockey shop can't, can't sell you. There are things that, and, and very legitimate reasons at times, that they can't recommend things. If your mask is toast, relining it, I mean, I've got one on the wall behind me that one of the coolest paint jobs I ever had. It's an old Eddie mask. I love the paint job. It was, it, it felt bulletproof. I felt so safe in that. Um, and it looks fine. Like it looks like it's fine. But all of a sudden, every shot off the mask started ringing badly in my ears. And I don't know if people realize this, but if your ears ring, it's actually a minor TBI, traumatic brain injury. Not serious, but it's actually considered a minor TBI. Once your mask starts, if it's never rung before on shots and all of a sudden it starts ringing, um, Patty O'Neill, the Canucks uh, longtime equipment manager, told me it's probably compromised internally. There's probably a crack that's developed inside the mask. And so now it sits on my wall with all its pretty art. Uh, courtesy, I think that one was of Headstrong Graphics. So thanks to them for the paint job. So it's hanging on the wall. But that's not one that a new foam kit would have fixed. That said, if your foam's just worn out and you're confident in the integrity of the shell, you can't get it from the hockey shop, but you can get foam kits. Hutch, you're doing one right now. I think you're using, I can't remember which which company helped you with the new foam. So we don't want people to think it's not possible, um, but just be aware you lose that CSA approval and um, make, sure, make sure you're confident in the integrity of the shell before you replace that foam. But walk us through your experience as such. I'm not sure that I would take this step if it was the one and only mask in the bag and I had to rely on it for a season. I think I agree with what you and Cam were discussing in there, Woody, that with the amount of money that we spend on gear to not spend the money on a helmet because you think you can eke another year out of it is probably not the smartest thing to do, especially if your son or daughter is playing at a high level facing some, you know, some extremely, uh, challenging shots and the ones that really hurt but to be fair i would even add to that that i first purchased a pro helmet for my son when he was in peewee because there's nothing that can replace confidence and the ability to stand in the net and and feel like you're not going to get hurt so so that said back to the, the refurb guys maddie has a second helmet an older one that we retired uh and and followed that advice and got him a new one there's a special night coming up for his team. They're doing a country music night and bringing in a singer to do the anthem and a show at between periods. And, and he and a bunch of the guys are big country music fans. So I thought, you know what, here's a good chance to refurb the old helmet. Cause it's probably not a bad thing. If you're lucky enough to have this luxury to have a backup around just in case something happens. So little investment for one night and pulled out the old helmet and it was in rough shape boys. Like, Everything was rusty, like you were talking about, to the point that I even had to get the Dremel out to cut a few of the bolts off. And uh, so we got all the hardware out. We got the foam out. I didn't know there were these sort of foil-like linings inside the Bauer helmets, a number of strips, which I believe are there to reduce the sound uh, from the vibration. So that was an interesting thing just to discover, you know, pull things apart, see what's under there. So liner out. Put on the foil. Yeah. Yeah. Putting on the foil for goalies. And... Uh, um, little trick in learning in the process. This was Junior's idea. I don't know if you've seen that pink solution they sell at Costco. I think it's this uh, cleaning solution for just about everything. He took that and uh, the magic eraser and went at the helmet and that got off the old stickers really easily. Nice little tip. Got it nice and fresh and we've sent it off um, 
for a wrap from our friends at Custom Cages over in Vancouver and uh, getting a nice wrap put on there. If anybody wants a wrap for the helmet, Custom Cages is a great place to go. Very affordable, dozens of options, customized to your team and everything. It's, it's really cool. Uh, and we're putting a new foam kit in, and that's also done by a Vancouver-based company, uh, Resilient Goalie Foam, and they've got multiple um, setups depending on your helmet. They've got multiple types of foam, depending on the type, even colors. And again, like I said, would probably make me a little nervous if I just said, hey, Maddie, here's your helmet for the year. Let's try something with some new foam. But as a one-off, see how it goes, few practices and, and a game, it's a nice chance to evaluate this, and I'll get back to you on all of that. And, uh, and it's a nice chance to have a little bit of fun for, for one night as we're preparing for a special night for the team. Uh, also, <laughs> it's funny because I was editing your gear segment, Woody, as the stuff arrived from the hockey shop that I'd ordered from Cam, which included uh, the hardware kit from Bauer that you guys discussed. This was not set up at all. It was a complete coincidence, Darren. Uh, the hardware kit arrived. Um, a new chin cup. Maddie uses the Sportmas chin cup. Uh, we happen to have a sport mask helmet here at one point. He took it off, put it on his helmet. He's never gone back. It's uh, hard plastic with a liner in it. Yeah. Uh, I think just for comfort, he likes it. Uh, a little bit more like a football chin strap than anything. Uh, so we ordered a new one of those. And again, the harness that Cam was discussing that will allow you to see the artwork on the, uh, on the back plate. But it was in your chit chat that was not included with the gear segment that Cam mentioned, you don't get the backing to those screws. I'm pretty sure it wasn't in the gear segment, Woody. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but you don't get the backing for the screws because they're actually part of Bauer's liner because the Bauer, the Bauer padding is effectively screwed into the helmet. Um, so we do need to go and find those. So if you are ordering new hardware and you think you're going to need those backings because they've rusted out or something, uh, make sure you talk to Cam and say, hey, um, send the other side too, please because he's got those if you need them. I am going to say that if you had to take a Dremel to your hardware, you either waited too long to do the reverb. Oh, way too long. All right. Or as you said, because this isn't your main mask, it's not something you would send your kid out in on a day-in, day-out basis. Uh, might be one of those ones where you'd think twice but about... Uh, and again, he's playing like junior already. For those of us in beer league, it's uh, it's probably just fine. But just there is a line there, guys. And, and as we said in this gear segment, as Hutch mentioned, like... Really, you're going to spend thousands, you're going to like update your steel, you're going to, you know, buy the latest chest protector every year, but you're going to let your helmet wear down and wear out. Uh, head's most important protection. I've, I've seen parents at multiple levels do it over the years where, where they, you know, they will spend, walk in there and spend five grand on new gear, the latest pro pads, gloves, and then they'll walk over to the helmet thing and be like, oh, what about the cheaper one? Hmm, I'm thinking maybe your kid's melon might be more important than, uh, you know, making sure his blocker matches his pads at some point. No, and I've said it before, and I'll say it again. It was transformative when I put him into a pro helmet. He had reached that age where guys were getting the puck up high and hard, but he was still quite young and small, and he was starting to flinch in net and put a pro helmet on him, and he has not flinched once in his life since then. I kid you not. It was transformative to his enjoyment of the game number one importance and then as a result the way he was playing and we got lucky the kids got a large melon he could fit a pro helmet when he was young but uh, and as woody said many times before nothing matters more than fit but uh, yeah don't don't cheap out on the helmet we can make them better we can extend the life of them a little bit um, but 
It's not what I'd be doing for a primary right now. And and that's the other thing. Cheaping out means if it's if it's compromised. We talked about bent cages, and you know, you guys gave me crap a couple of years ago because I had a cat eye where the lower mm. bar was bent back, and I kept using it. That was stupid. Um, you know, but if you maintain them with these hardware kits by cleaning out the liner, by replacing some of the parts that hold the mass together, you're not going to get to that it's done, it's falling apart stage as soon. It's like taking care of a car, right? It's going to last longer. It just doesn't mean it's going to last forever. I do replace foam in the primary mask that, that I use, but I don't use like the same foam as the mask manufacturer. Mm-hmm. Am I taking a real chance in that? Uh, well, that's what Hutch is doing right now, right? With the resilient foams. I think the reality of the CSA approval, like it, for a Bauer mask, Aaron, now your, your, your friends at the Vegas Golden Knights could probably get a replacement liner, but they would just replace the mask at that level. Um, but they don't sell it at retail. Like they don't make it available to stores. Yeah. No, I'm um, not used. I, yeah. So because of that approval process, right? So there are, there are some really good second market foams um available out there some specialty foams that aren't just you know blocks of you know standard uh foam there are some some kits that have some impact absorbing stuff um there's lots of different options out there the one thing i would say is as these companies and we've talked about ccm i'm in an axis mass right now with the fluid pods like you can't just go buy the fluid pods off the street right as the technology and the pour on uh, in the Bauer masks and the foam liners that they have developed and spent a lot of money on trying to improve impact resistance. As those things get better, not being able to replace that and just putting in a standard foam, I don't compromise would totally be the wrong word, but you might be getting a little less protection depending on that. That's not the foam kit necessarily that the mask was designed to be used with. They I do like getting my exacto knife out though and cutting all the holes and things like that. <laughs> They don't let me, this is why I could never do this. They don't let me have knives here. (laughs) The other thing you can do by getting bulk foam, whether it's the stuff that Cam was talking about in the gear segment that you can get off the shelf or whether you go to a place like resilientgoalie.com, which is where our foams are coming from, um, they can also help with the fit, right? You might have that extra spacing between temples and helmet and you might want to get a little bit extra in there to create a better fit. Um, Kevin, you asked about or mentioned that there's different options. I think Resilient has, I'm just flipping through here, about seven different foam options and some that they consider more protective uh, than what many of the manufacturers are are sending out in their helmets or you see in pro helmets. Yeah, like I would say that um, if I remember correctly, they have some multiple, like multiple density Yeah, they've got the dual density combi- pour on, you can get dual density. density, STN, STR. There's all sorts of different... Uh, options available depending on what it is that you think you're looking for different price ranges obviously and if you're a you know a fashionista like kevin is you can get about 15 different colors in a dual density uva as well so sold sold i'm in colors i'm in like forget forget my brain um darren will help me make sure it smells nice as he said at the lead into this my brain will smell nice but it's all about look good so if they make multiple colors i'm in done Let's do it. Uh, speaking of uh, really cool things, uh, our friends over at Sensorina, Sensorina VR, continue to push the envelope. They sure do. Uh, I actually have been trying out the NHL shooters, little area where we do some workouts. We do a little bit of physical stuff, and then we throw on the Sensorina and do a little bit of work. And uh, 
I did get to try out the NHL shooters before I just been reporting to you on what Sensorina told us and then what Maddie experienced. And, uh, it was, I gotta tell you guys, it was pretty cool and they can shoot the biscuit. It is a challenge, but it is a whole lot of fun to face that challenge. For me, the biggest thing, um, I felt like I could make the saves in most cases, but the actual physical tracking of the shot, I found incredibly challenging, like fully tracking right into the, to either hand. Uh, much more challenging that, than what I'd done in there and certainly than anything I'd seen on the ice before. Um, but one of the cool things about Sensorine, of course, guys, is they actually report on your reaction time to a shot and how well you are tracking that shot. Uh, I won't report those scores to you. I was 100% on my angles. Didn't need to move in the drill I was doing, but that's okay. Uh, but, my, well but my reaction time and, and my tracking, not so good. But it's really cool that you get those exact analytics back after your drills so that you can focus on them and try and improve them. Um, very impressive. But uh, the other thing that's happening with Sensorina guys, just sort of celebrating the fact that they've got the NHL shooters in there, is uh, they're bringing a new competition to Sensorina users uh, starting, I think it's next week, somewhere around the 23rd, 24th of January. They're going to be having an NHL shooters challenge. And then they're going to be having a special skills challenge. Um, one challenge each week, your chance to get in there and there'll be gift cards awarded to the top three goalies each week in those competitions. So nice, fun way to get involved in Sense Arena to see how you're doing compared to other goalies. Um, I, I can't tell you how cool it is just when you see names you, rec you recognize there. So, you know, Matty did a drill, comes running in and he's like, hey, I'm now ahead of, and he mentions, uh, was it Drew Camesso? I think he got one place ahead of him, but oh, I'm still behind another goaltender. All this sort of stuff is just a great way to get involved in the community and, and get training with other, other guys out there. Um, so yeah, the, the opportunities that Sense Arena provides for us are all fantastic, guys. Not just the NHL shooters are new. The other thing is if you happen to have the Oculus headset, because maybe Santa left it under the tree because you want to try some of those cool games that uh, Darren and the girls play together, you can now get a free seven-day trial. So you can find out what Sensorina is all about without making a commitment. That's fantastic. And then if you're maybe not ready for that full commitment, because it's, you know, it's it's not cheap, to be fair. Buying a great tool like this that will improve your game is not easy to do. But they've also got a lower price price segment that includes a subset of the different drills that are available, including all the neurocognitive stuff that we don't even talk about all that often. Just a chance to really work on your eye hand skills and your processing skills outside of the specific hockey arena so thank you to sense arena we do suggest you all get out there and give it a try whether you try the new seven day trial or maybe you want to make a commitment right away if you do use that code igm50 for extra savings on top of any deal they might have going on at the time i would suggest a, a in goal challenge but you guys never do it and when you do do it hutch you just get little hutch to wear the headset for you and you cheat i don't cheat but i do drag his stats down because <laughs> it's all on his account when i hop on oh there. is it all oh, on yeah, his account yeah. i haven't set up another oh, one. That, that that that's good that that's Dad. really good no but you know the what other thing i noticed bad? i think this is fairly new but i i don't use it as much as maddie so i'm not sure is you actually can toggle so that what you're doing doesn't count against the stats that they record that you couldn't do that before. I'm quite sure of that. I don't know when it got added in. So now 
I actually went in there the other day to try the the Devin Levi sit on the couch and watch the shots without actually trying to make a save to improve your tracking. And I was able to tick off that please don't count these zero saves against Maddie. Oh, that's pretty good. So it's actually a training tool because you don't have you would use it more because it wouldn't bring your stats down. That's that's a advantage. Not just father, son and getting in trouble as dad. Yeah, and it's not quite as bad as the old video game thing where you can just restart it, restart it, restart it until you finally get the score you want. But... No, no, it's a good, it's a good thing because there are guys doing it. We talked to you talked about Levi, you talked about Eric Comrie, talked about like not moving and then flipping the script and being able to look at the replays from the puck perspective to see how close he was to the puck without having to move. And if you're a young goalie and you're competitive, you want to be able to do those drills because there is value to them where the puck is going in the net, but you're still getting work out of it and not have it hurt you in your overall score. So I would cheat like crazy and just not count anything until I felt like I was in a UC Soros zone, which probably doesn't exist for me, but I think it's a good thing. And uh, congratulations once again on your angle work. Well done. Thank you. Box control. I I was a math teacher, so I better get 100% on angles. (laughs) Uh. What's uh what's the feedback on your own personal uh reflection after your conversation with Thomas Millich? I was just really impressed with the young man. Um it was a fun conversation as I think people are about to hear. It was pretty cool. I'm not going to lie to get into the fact like the fact that he is an in goal subscriber as we talked about both the goalies in the gold medal games were in goal subscribers but it was really neat to hear him talk about sharing the account with his dad and his dad sending him some of the stuff um that he's been working on and after you listen to this interview there's a couple of things he did really well we talk about size uh, and the way he used overlap it wasn't just a regular old overlap we actually did some video with thomas after this interview and i'll fill you in after you listen on uh what that article is going to look like at ingoldmag.com uh, and some of the things where, you know, this is these are actual saves we saw in the World Junior Championships and reviewed that sort of have origins in an article and a save technique introduced at ingoldmag.com. Awesome stuff. It's the feature interview brought to you by Sensorina Sensorina VR with a thinking man's goalie, Thomas Millich, a World Junior Champion. incredibly excited to welcome to the Ingle Radio Podcast. First time guest, but Ingle Premium subscriber. And this is, I believe, the third time in a row that we have had the World Junior Championship goalie join us on the podcast shortly after winning a gold medal. Uh, welcome to the Ingle Radio Podcast, Thomas Millich. Congratulations on an incredible tournament. Um, I know you went straight back into a road trip and a tough road trip, a grinder of a road trip back east with the Seattle Thunderbirds afterwards. Have you had a chance to soak in everything that's happened yet? Yeah, no, thank you very much for having me on the show. Been a fan for quite a while now. And yeah, like you said, you know, popping right into that East Team Spring road trip was, you know, pretty grueling, not only on the body, but the mind as well. You know, just spending that much time in a hotel and, you know, going right back to being on the road with the long bus trips. And, you know, it's been tough, but, you know, I've, I think I'm still trying to soak it all in back home now in Vancouver, Coquitlam specifically, and, you know, spending some time with family, and, you know, right when I got home yesterday, I had all the, all the neighbors and a whole bunch of friends waiting for me at home, so I think just seeing all, seeing all of them, you know, how happy they were to see me and how supportive they've been throughout this whole process, 
you know, really helping me soak it all in. We're, we're like almost a couple of weeks later here. Do you still like, is there still emotion when you see, like, especially when you go home and you see people that have been part of that process for you, part of that journey. And, you know, I'm sure the family got to celebrate with you already, but some of those other people that haven't yet to see them for the first time since such a big moment is, are there still emotions there? Oh, totally. Yeah. I've, of course, I've been getting tons of texts, you know, the last few weeks since the tournament ended and, you know, everyone congratulating me, but actually being here and seeing them all in person, I was, you know, just seeing how happy they were and all the, all the neighbors, especially, you know, how supportive they were. It's pretty cool just knowing that I have so many people behind me supporting me. I mean, again, it is so fresh, but what's, what are the memories that jump out the most? Like if somebody asks you, I'm sure you've had it already and I'll do it again, but the favorite memory so short after the tournament, what is the favorite memory? The one that jumps out the moment that jumps out the most to you? Yeah. For me, I'm sure for most guys, of course, when we won the game in overtime, you know, it was a roller coaster of emotions going, getting to that point, you know, being able to finally have a little bit of peace of mind and knowing that it's all over and can right now. It's, you know, I think that was sort of the moment when I really realized that, you know, we, we get to enjoy this and you know, I think all the, all the hard work we put in is, you know, about to pay off. The pressure that comes with playing for Canada, especially uh, at, at a tournament when you're the hosts, um, we saw the crowds, how, and there's probably a lot of young goalies that haven't been in these big moments yet. And I know part of the answer is you've been in big moments all along the way, whether it's U17, U18, WHL. But how, you, you talk about those nerves. What advice do you give to others? How did you handle them? How were you able to stay in the moment until it was time, as you said, to just relax and enjoy it? Yeah, no, I think there's a few different ways that helped me deal with the nerves throughout the tournament. And not only then, but other games I play in Seattle and wherever else. You know, I think I'm pretty fortunate that I'm just someone who's naturally pretty good at handling high pressure situations and just something I love. But I think it's awesome, you know. But, uh, you know, of course, I'm sure to hear people say that pre- pressure is a privilege. So I think I really just try and be as grateful as I can for the moment. You know, there's thousands of kids that would you know, do anything to be in you know, the position I was in just a couple of weeks ago. You know, really just trying to soak in the moment and really be grateful for the opportunity that I have playing alongside and against all those, all those incredible players. So I think really just enjoying the moment as much as I can. and Try not to take it too seriously. At some point, you've got to be able to surrender the outcome and you know, just rely on all your foundations, all the hard work you've put in getting to that point. Like, you know, once you, you almost go on autopilot a little bit when it gets into those situations. Well, I want to get to all the what that foundation is for you and all the go- goalie coaches and playing partners along the way that have helped build it. But you talked about embracing pressure and thriving in the moment. I heard a quote or read a quote along the way about that being part of what you liked about being a goalie. Was that always there wanting to be the guy? Cause I think that's, it's not necessarily innate in everyone, but it feels like it's almost a prerequisite for succeeding in the position to actually want to be that last line of defense. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, I think that it's honestly probably part of why I became a goalie in the first place. You know, when I was nine or 10 years old, I think I just loved being able to, have so much influence and control over the games, you know, obviously being a goaltender, you definitely get a lot more hate than you deserve. And you know, sometimes a lot more, a lot more praise than you deserve at some point. So, you know, I think just being able to, you know, be that guy, the last line of defense to 
be able to make a game save, save, or you know, just keep the team, you know, in a calm state of mind when things get tense. So I think I just love love having that ability. And you know, I think like you said, I, I thrive under pressure and that's just something that I've always liked from a young age. Okay, so young age, you said nine, ten, that's where it started. What other than that pressure, what else drew you to the position? How did you become a goaltender? Just not far down the road for me out here in uh, in the Vancouver suburbs. Yeah, I mean, I, I grew up playing Coca-Cola minor hockey. And, you know, of course, like, like most kids, it starts out that, you know, there's one set of gear that's floating around the team, either take turns or you know, randomly assign who gets to be goalie that week. And, you know, I think it was just something that started off with, you know, me having my turn every once in a while. I was pretty good at it. And eventually, a couple kids didn't want to be it, so I'd always be the one volunteering to go in that. And then, you know, I think it eventually just evolved into being part-time goalie. And then eventually, like I said, around nine or 10, that's when I became a full-time goalie. Was there anybody that, uh, so as you, as you're falling in love with the position, as that passion is being built, was, was there a guy for you? Um, you know, somebody, whether it was a, a NHL guy or even, even in junior, sometimes our inspiration come from, from lower level leagues. Like who was, who was the guy that Thomas Millich was, uh, you know, envisioned himself growing up to be when you started playing goal? Yeah, well, growing up in Vancouver at that age, you know, Roberto Longo was always my guy. You know, I think I'm not in that room right now, but my my bedroom here at home, I've got a life size poster of him that I've had since I was, you know, six or seven years old. And, you know, it's still up there. So, you know, he's someone that I always grew up watching and looked up to. And, you know, I think he's just, you know, awesome role model for, you know, a lot of great kids. Actually, during the tournament as well, this was right after the quarterfinal game. You know, I, I got surprised with a, a video message from him, actually, you know, just wishing me luck throughout the tournament and, you know, just try to have fun and you know, really enjoy the process. So you know, I was pretty starstruck when I got that from him. What is it like? What does it mean? Like beyond being starstruck, like the, does it cement the moment? Not that you could add any more pressure to it or make it any bigger than it already was, but that you're getting messages from the guy you grew up sort of idolizing and wanting to, wanting to play like, and all of a sudden, you know, whether it's on your phone or wherever, there's a video message. Hey, this is Roberto Luongo. Yeah, I don't think really it really changed much with the pressure of the game, but I think it really just, you know, made me realize, you know, how cool it is to be where I was at that point. Knowing that not only family and friends are behind me, but knowing that all these previous Canadian legends that have been in the same shoes as me at that point in their careers, and, you know, just knowing that they're all sporting, they're all watching as well. So I think it really just made me realize how, how cool the moment it was for me. You talked about the way you manage pressure, and I think it was one of the things that impressed so many people, how calm you stayed and how you didn't deviate from your game, no matter how big the moment got. Um, one of the earlier answers, you talked about how to help calm a team down in those same pressure situations. I remember a few years ago, uh, we had Joel Hofer on after they won, and he talked about some of the things that he tried to do uh, for him, it was taking whistles early so that the team could always regroup. It didn't get too scrambly. Are there things you can do tactically to try and help slow things down or calm down um, a team, help your teammates in those high-pressure situations? Yeah, you know, that's a tough thing to do in a short-term competition, especially when, you know, a lot of your teammates are new. You've never never played with them before, and, you know, a few of them you have, but... You know, when you're on your club team, you know, these guys have seen you play, you know, dozens of times. They see you in practice every day, but, 
when you join a short-term competition team like this, it's hard to build that foundation in such a short amount of time. So I think it's really important to do whatever you can to build that trust, you know, right from day one. I think that starts with just getting them to know the guys pretty well and, you know, just letting them know that, you know, you're going to do whatever you can to be solid every single night. And, you know, I think tactically, like you said, in games, that's a great point. Trying to get early whistles. If you're playing the puck hard in the net, making sure those passes are nice and crisp and clean. And, you know, really just showing that you, regardless of what happens in that game, you're going to have the same mindset for every shot. And, you know, you're going to be ready to face whatever comes at you. Just let's just, for example, in the USA game in the semifinals, I think they had a couple, couple early goals. And, you know, I think the big turning point for me in that game is, you know, not letting that phase me at all. You know, I think a lot of the, there was definitely some tension on the bench. You know, like you could sense from, you know, okay, might be running away from us a little bit, but, you know, I just did whatever I could to, you know, get a few clean saves under my belt and, you know, really solidify that, you know, this game's long from over and, you know, every single one of those guys on the bench could trust me. I think a lot of it comes down to that. I, I guess like when you're, when your game is so much about control, the last thing you can do in those moments is deviate. And cause that's the one thing right about this position. You can't try harder. It usually doesn't work out very, it's kind of like golf yeah. and swinging harder on that first tee, right? It doesn't usually go all that well. Um, so being able to stick with your game and show that you were still calm in those moments, I, I got to imagine that rubs off on others. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's another thing I've been working on a lot in say, the last year or so in my game is, you know, really eliminating a lot of tension that comes with, you know, playing in those high pressure situations. You know, I find sometimes when in the past, when I come into a big game like that, I'd, I'd be a little, a little nervous for the game, which is usual, but I think I let that physically get to me. You know, I'd be holding my stick a little tighter. I'd be flexing my arms and holding my glove up. And it really distracts your mind from, you know, what's important, which is, you know, you're tracking, you're reading the plays and, you know, doing all the, whatever you can technically to get an edge on the game. So I think if I can just, you know, eliminate a lot of that tension, you know, it really just helps me rely on my foundations that I've, you know, spent so many years building up now. Okay, so uh, tension, uh, tension, as uh, the goaltending coach here in Vancouver, Ian Clark, has told me many times over the years, tension is the enemy of goaltending. How did you have to find techniques? Was it more just, hey, I, I, I can't get too tense here, or were there actual ways, maybe little tips or techniques that you use to sort of make sure you, you know, for some guys, it's breathing exercises. How did you get the tension out of your game? Or was it simply just recognizing that tendency and trying not to give into it? Yeah, it was a little bit of both. You know, a lot of it was just, you know, starting in practice, just trying to adapt my stance a little bit, to, you know, ease a little bit of that tension, just knowing that I can make the saves. A little bit of a looser stance, I guess you could say. But Is that indeed. when you say, t- sorry, stance, sorry, Thomas, yeah. don't mean to interrupt, but like there's so many goalies, right? They want specifics, right? They're all listening. They all play the position. That's the one thing we get to geek out here, right? Like, so when you talk about stance, is that just sort of narrowing it up? Like, are, like I've seen guys literally sort of shake the hands out a little bit at times. What, what for you sort of releases it when you get into your set? Yeah, I think that's it. Exactly. You know, narrowing the stance is something I worked on a lot as well. And, uh, you know, I think you can see right before face-off in the, in the D zone, you can see my, my glove shakes a little bit. You know, I'll be kind of shifting my weight a little bit from my left to right leg just to, ease a little bit of that tension and then from an in-game standpoint 
know, there's a few things I do, whether you know, it's breathing or I have a couple of keywords that I like to say a lot as well, just to reset my mind a little bit. And, We've heard that over the years um, from World Juniors right up to the NHL. Some guys will write it in the back of their blocker. They'll write it on a stick. Can you share the words with us? And no pressure if, if you're not comfortable with it, but I'd be curious. Yeah, of course. You know, there's a few things I say. You know, one thing is clean, crisp, solid. You know, not really sure where that started, but I think it was my dad, actually. When I was younger, he, he heard it on a podcast or read in an article that about the whole having keywords idea and uh you know, those three words really just stuck with me. It just, you know, brings me back to my foundation and everything I have to work on. And, you know, it really just helps me focus on what's important, you know, having clean, clean and crisp movements and, you know, just being solid for your team every night. Love it. I love it. Sounds like your dad's been a big part of, of goaltending for you. Did, did he play the position? Did he help you as a coach when you were, you were younger? Or is he just number one fan and, and supports you whatever way he can? Yeah, he never played, especially as a goalie. I think he was in some beer leagues when I was younger, but, you know, nothing too serious, but, you know, he's been great, you know, right from a young age, he's my number one supporter for sure. And, uh, you know, he, he's really just a student of the game as well. You know, he's kind of on this journey with me as well. You know, if he ever sees a, an article or a clip from a podcast or whatever, he'll send it over my way so I can read it as well. And, you know, I do the same with him. You know, he's just super interested about the position and, you know, hockey as a whole. And, I think a lot of that's rubbed off on me as I'm growing up here, you know, really just having a passion for the game and, you know, outside of the ring, just do whatever I can to learn and you know, experience more about it. I love it. I love it. And now we know why his name and his emails on the uh, in goal premium account with us. So he's, he's reading right along with you. eh? Oh, exactly. Yeah. He was the one that got me into it originally. So yeah, I've been hooked ever since. Oh, I love that. That's a great story. Um, so, so who else? Um, we talked about how you got started. We sort of walked through, and I want to talk about that foundation because, you know, I heard the quotes about how you just, you know, you, you felt your game was in the best place it's ever been. But maybe let's rewind and talk about how you built up to the foundation you trust now. Who were some of your early influences? We talked about watching Roberto. Um, you know, I know Burnaby Winter Club. There would have been some Sean Murray in there. Uh, I saw some congratulations messages from him. Who are some of your biggest influences you started maybe getting more serious about the position after 10, 11, you became a goalie full time? Yeah, so when I was younger, of course, Roberto was my guy. Watched him a lot. And then, you know, the, not a Canadian, but I watched a lot of Jonathan Quick as well growing up. You know, I just loved how athletic he was and how fun he made the position look. So I think those were probably my two guys growing up that I like to watch a lot. And then, you know, from a goalie coaching standpoint, I was pretty lucky to work with Pascal Atlanta a lot growing up. You know, I always did his summer camps. And then I remember waking up at, you know, 4.30 on a school day to, get out to the Richmond Oval to get on the ice with him for a, you know, a 5.30 morning skate before school. And, you know, he, I think he was a, a big key in, you know, establishing that, that skating foundation as well as my tracking as well, which is a strong point of my game. You know, I think he was just so detailed from, from a young age and really helped me, you know, establish a great foundation. Then, like you said, going, moving on to Burnaby Winter Club, we got a few great years of Sean Murray there. Same thing. He really established that foundation and solidified it. And, you know, I, I love working with him. He's a great job there. And uh, yeah, from there, I've had a handful of great goalie coaches I've worked with. You know, just to rattle off a few, Matt Korchmar and Lynn and San Martino I've worked with the last couple of years. And, you know, they've both been great with, you know, really tailoring to my needs as a goalie. You know, really just doing whatever they can to help me succeed. 
a lot, a lot of names I recognize there for sure from the area, Pasco and Linden for sure. Um, you end up going to Seattle, WHL. Uh, and I know there's been a change there, but uh, we, we've we've done some stuff in the past. Actually, ironically, through Hockey Canada uh, with a guy like Ian Gordon, um, who would have been there when you first got there. Uh, I know now it's it's Brad Guzda. Hopefully, I'm saying that right. I have ne- I haven't had the privilege of meeting him yet, but obviously, he's doing a hell of a job too. What's that like when you go? You get all these different voices, and you said you're building your foundation. Are you just trying to add pieces with each one? Sometimes that can be tough. You get different voices and some guys want you to try different things. You're still a young goaltender. How do you approach that? Being receptive, but also sticking true to what you feel are your strengths. Yeah, of course. You know, I'm, you know, I think one thing that's helped me out a lot of as a goalie developing is really just having an open mind with regardless of whoever you're working with. You know, I've had some some great coaches and you know, some not so great coaches, if I'm being honest. And, you know, luckily I'm a lot more great than not great. But uh you know, I think, I think every, everything that all these guys have to say you know, holds incredible value. I think if you can just, you know, at least give something a try before, you know, totally shutting it down, I think it'll, you'll definitely be surprised at, you know, a lot of things that you might not think work tactically, but, you know, you end up adding into your game and, you know, they can become a staple of your game eventually. So, you know, I think really just, you know, coming into the new coaches and, you know, new new teams with a with an open mind and really just trying to be a sponge. And, you know, even if it's not something you use in your game, you might be able to see other goalies adapt to it and see what works for them and you know, what, what might not work for you. So you know, I think it's just cool being able to be a sponge and absorb as much knowledge as you can. No one way to play this position. Can you give me an example of, of something tactically over the years and you don't have to name names where you're at first, maybe you were like, yeah, I'm not so sure. And then you end up using it, uh, maybe not even as a foundation, but something you still employ in your game that you might not have been as so uh, excited about at the beginning. Honestly, the something that's a huge foundation to my game now is the overlap. You know, especially as a quote unquote smaller goalie, you know, it's, it's something that you know really makes the game easy for me. And you know, when I first heard about it, it was you know a super foreign thing to me, and you know, just not having that post to really grab onto with your arm. And, you know, I just couldn't really tell what was behind me at first from a young age. And, you know, the more I saw other guys do it, you know, I was seeing, you know, how well it worked for them. And, you know, just being able to adapt and add it to my game has really helped out a lot. You know, I used to be, you know, swore toward the, the RBH. And, you know, of course, you get beat over the shoulder every once in a while. And, you know, then you realize, you know, hey, maybe there's another way to do this. So, you know, I think the, the overlap was something that, you know, I honestly didn't, didn't love it first, and you know now I love it a lot. Okay, so the, interesting because I had I had made a note that that was something I wanted to ask you about because I thought you used it really effectively um, in the tournament, and it was impressive. Again, it's not just about being able to overlap or being comfortable in overlap. I think like anything, because you still use a reverse um, right. and used it effectively, and and it's a key part of most goalies' games in today's age. It's all about knowing when to use what. And I just, I love the way you manage that. So walk me through getting comfortable. You said, you know, when you're first introduced, like at what age and, you know, where, where that, how you built up that comfort through reps in terms of when to use it, when not to use it, when to use a reverse. And you mentioned size, obviously it becomes a part of this discussion, no matter what in today's day and age with goaltending, as much as we sort of just cringe at it at times here at Ingoal. 
and we'll get to that later. But but how did you know how did it be how did how did just overlap how how did it become a big part of your game and and why do you think it works good for you and how have you adjusted your use of it over the years? Yeah, I mean honestly, I don't think that, can't really remember the exact time or age when you know I was first introduced to it. But going on to the usage of it, you know, when I was working with Pascal Valana, you know, one thing that he really emphasized was having a game plan for you know just about every situation that can come up in hockey. So I think. Uh, you know, just finding multiple ways to make the same save as well can be beneficial. You know, you don't want to be super predictable as a goal either. You don't want to be, you know, two feet in front of your post every time they come down the wing. And you also don't want to be stuck in your overlap or in your RVH every time they come down the wing. So, you know, I think if you can be unpredictable as a goalie, but while also having confidence that you are going to be filling that space regardless of what position you're in, I think that helped me out a lot. Yeah, there's. A, I love that. I love that answer. By the way, you could t- you probably tell by the smile on my face as you were answering it. Like unpredictability, I think is a, is it can be a really good thing, um, as long as in your own mind you're in control of it. Right? It, it's not willy nilly. Just throw whatever you want. Unpredictable. There's certain guidelines you're using, but shooters can't just bank on seeing the same thing every time. I love that. I love that mentality. Has that been something that's taken a while to embrace, or you've been sort of on that path for for a while now? Yeah, it's something I've done for quite a while now. Like I said, just being able to be open-minded and adapt to any situation. So I think, I don't know which who told me that when I was younger, but just being able to have a couple of different save selections in your, your toolbox you know, for any given save. So I think that's the biggest thing that's helped me out there. Well, I think we've had a few articles uh, on that. Maybe maybe we'll just pretend that your dad clipped one and sent it to you. And I can tell you right yeah. now, we're, we're definitely adding another Thomas Millich version of the uh, unpredictability can help you uh, article that'll be up there soon after hearing that answer. Um, big stages, big experiences. Burnaby Winter Club, um, you, you, you played one game with the Coquitlam Express. Then you go to the dub. But you've also had opportunities with, with Hockey Canada, with Canada, U17, uh, U18 World Junior Championships, and now with the World Junior, like the big stages, the opportunities. Can you can you sum up what they've meant to you in terms of opportunity to play at those levels? And I guess the other part for kids that may get a chance to do that, the few that do, how do you approach it? How do you embrace it? Yeah, no, I've been pretty fortunate to be. You know, play for a lot of great teams and especially the last few years here with the, the Hockey Canada program from U17s all the way until the, the World Juniors this year. You know, it's honestly just been the coolest thing ever. You know, I, you know, I'm super grateful for, you know, every opportunity I've been given. And I think a lot of that is, you know, been helping me manage, you know, all the, all the pressure, all the stress and everything, just being grateful for the situation that I'm in and, you know, really, you know, trying to get the most out of it. So I think just, you know, any, regardless of what team you're playing on, I think just being able to appreciate, you know, everyone that's helped you get there and everyone that's helping you while you are there. You know, I think that's really helped me manage, you know, everything that comes with playing with those high experience clubs. Uh, when you get into those situations, quite often there's the support mechanisms can be um, like pretty high end, uh, sports psychologists, access to mental coaches. Was there anything you took away? I'm guessing from a goalie coaching standpoint, as much as there's great staff involved, you're probably not changing your game in a short term event in a, you know, in a short tournament, but there are other resources. Um, like I said, mental skills and things like that. Have there been other things you've added at some of those events where 
Maybe you're not going in there and changing your game a whole bunch, but you're adding other pieces, maybe between the ears as much as between the pipes beyond the experience of the event itself. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, Kelly Garb was goal coach this year for our juniors, and I know Benny and I absolutely loved him. You know, he was great from right from day one. He, you know, really emphasized that he's not here to change our game in that short amount of time. But you know, he in practice, he's always willing to you know throw something out at you and you know see if you like it or not. And, you know, really just you know be supportive, but you know not try to change too much as well. And you know, especially on game days as well. You know, he kind of leaves us alone and lets us do our thing, but you know, he's you know, he, he was great for the whole tournament. And you know, from a mental side of the game, you know, there's of course, like you said, Hockey Canada does a great job of providing support staff and then you know, mental consultants and you know, sports psychologists as well. So I think I really just try and absorb you know, whatever I can from those people, especially in a short amount of time. I'm someone that loves learning about all that, you know, that the whole mental side of the game, you know. I read a lot of books, you know, regarding that. And, you know, I've worked with a couple of different uh, sports psychologists as well, just to, you know, see what they have to offer, and, you know, see if they can do anything to help my game. And, you know, I think that's something that has helped me a lot is, you know, I have to have someone to rely on, but I think if you can just always be learning and, you know, always be expanding your knowledge of the topic, you know, it really just helps out a lot. And make yourself the resource you can rely on. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So kids out there, we're going to go with Thomas Millich's reading list here. What were some of the books that you like from for when you're working on mental strength and reading? Are there any that jump out that, you know, we can add to some kids reading list here as they try and become better goaltenders by being more mentally strong? Gosh, I'll have to... I put you on the cool. spot. I apologize. <laughs> I know. I'll have to pull up the, the list on my phone here. <laughs> you've got, but, you've uh, got, like, do a fair bit of reading then. Yeah, just the last couple of years, I've been trying to get into it a little more. You know, I grew up never really reading all that much, but the last few years, I think it's you know been a great pastime for me. Just never I'm way off decent amount of downtime, being on the bus on the road all the time. So, you know, I try to do as much reading as I can. I love it. I won't put you on the spot with the list if you don't have it, but maybe we'll make you send it to me later. Unless you, unless you, I really did put you on the spot there, so <laughs> we can add it to the show notes if you want later on. Yeah, I'll try to rattle off a couple off my head, but it'll take me a minute to find the list. But, uh, you know, I spent, for a little while, I was getting into the, the whole Navy SEAL culture and, you know, everything they do. I think that was something that a lot of the guys on our team were, you know, getting into as well. So read the, the David Goggins book, Can't Hurt Me. It's a, that was a pretty incredible story that, you know, everything he dealt with. And then uh, the Jocko Willink book as well extreme ownership you know really just you know taking ownership of everything you do in your life and you know being your own being your own boss you know <laughs> and then uh, yeah no, i'd have to send you the rest of the list later but no it's think- all good that's all well hey we'll t- we'll take yeah. the list for an article later but i love those two teases sound like a great place to start um let's go back to your game my game is in the best place it's ever been that's a that sounds like a really nice place to be as a goalie Sounds like you 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 really have a good handle on your foundation. Putting you on the spot here again, but can you have you been able to articulate what that is for you? I mean, we talked about the three words before: clean, crisp, solid. Um, what is that spot? What does it feel like? What are the points of emphasis now that you've experienced that and felt that? 
to stick to it, to stay to it? What will you go back to as that foundation that felt so good? Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, first I'll go back to that quote that I said, you know, about being in the, the best place it's ever been. And, you know, honestly, that's, that's something that, you know, I, not only for myself, but for, you know, the team and everyone that was listening to it, a lot of the reason why I said that was just to really instill confidence in, you know, in myself. I think if I'm, if I'm saying that, you know, on, on an interview like that, you know, I think it really just hardwires it into my brain that, you know, I am in a great place right now. I am confident and, you know, I'm, I'm ready to succeed, you know, regardless of, you know, where my game might actually be at, you know, in, in that scenario, it was, I was very happy with where my game was at, but, you know, there, there were days, you know, leading up to the actual games, you know, from training camp in between that and the, uh, the preliminary games, you know, we had some hard practices, you know, maybe my body wasn't feeling great one day or, you know, a couple of guys were, you know, feeling a little crummy leading up to that. And, but really just being able to establish that confidence, whether you have to make it up from scratch, that I am in a great place. And, you know, I, I love where my game is right now. I think that really helped me out. I love that. I love that. That quote jumped out to me so much. To, so to hear the thought process behind it, this this is this is a hell of a podcast already. You're, you're there's a lot of kids that are taking notes here right now, Thomas. Um, the vibe in Seattle. What's it been like that last? I mean, obviously there with the with Thunderbirds, but around that area, what's the vibe like now compared to pre-Kraken from a hockey perspective? Just like I'm just curious. I mean, we both grew up obviously just up the road, up the I five. I used to go down to Seattle for Mariners games, Seahawks games. Now it's a hockey town too. Has that affected you guys? Like, is there more hockey buzz around the team? I mean, the Thunderbirds have always had a strong following. They've always had a strong support group, but I'm just curious what the vibe's like in the city from a hockey perspective and if you've seen it change since an NHL team sort of joined the market. Yeah, no, I think it's definitely had a pretty big influence, you know, with the cracking coming in, into town. You no, know, but I think it's definitely been a positive influence so far. The buzz around hockey. You know, it's been growing, you know, every month I've been there, you know, just seeing all the, all the young kids that are really getting into it. You know, you see a lot of, a lot of first time kids that are going to our Thunderbird games. You know, a lot of people, you know, don't have the, the money to be going to cracking games every night. So, you know, being able to support the local Western League team, you know, it's awesome seeing how many kids are getting into hockey now and adults that are getting into it as well. And I think before the season, we had a, a bunch of the teammates came down and, you know, ran some kids' camps just for, you know, the local kids, you know, we're just helping them out. And in the second week of that, they actually had an adult camp of a whole bunch of adults, you know, whether they're parents of the kids that were skating, you know, they were all getting into hockey as well. So I thought that was pretty awesome. I love that. I love that. We, we need to, we, now, I, careful, careful. There's a whole group of Ingo listeners that'll be looking to come down for a beer league camp next year. You'll, you'll end up running the whole goalie school for all us old men trying to stumble around the crease if you're not careful here. Yeah, I'll be there. Um, uh, let's talk about, um, obviously, there was a lot of talk about you not getting drafted. Um, how have you managed that in the past couple of years and continue to maintain what appears to be a very positive growth mindset that allows you to get to, the, I, I, like, I think from the outside, if you had dwelled on that, you probably don't get to where you are here right now today in terms of the success on the international stage, the success you're having with the Thunderbirds and a lot of people talking about what's next. How did you manage the disappointment of those those two 
and maintain this focus? Yeah, I mean, of course, it was disappointing not getting selected, you know, either of the drafts there. But I think uh, one thing that really helped me out a lot before that was, you know, really just going into the draft with a mindset of, you know, regardless of what happens, you know, it's not the end of the world. And even if you do get drafted, then, you know, that doesn't mean you've made it. It really doesn't mean much at all. So I think really just coming that mind, coming in with the mindset of, you know, it could go either way, having a plan for both ways. You know, really helped me deal with, of course, the disappointment that came with it at first. And, you know, honestly, I think it's it's been a good for, thing for me. You know, right from that first time that I wasn't selected, it, you know, really lit a fire deep inside me that, you know, is still growing to this day. So I think it's really, really helped me, you know, not only not worry about the draft, but, you know, it's a lot of positives come out of it as well. You know, just being, being confident, being, wanting to win just that much more. And, you know, wanting to grow as a, a goalie as well. And you got some dev camp opportunities out of it as well. Um, what were those experiences like in terms of, like you're still, it's funny, like you said, like you didn't get drafted, but you still go to the exact same camp as drafted goalies and get to live that experience and learn from that experience, I'm imagining. Yeah, of course. So the, the first time through the draft, I was invited to Seattle's camp. And unfortunately, I didn't actually get to go since I broke my finger you know, just a couple of days before the camp. So I was pretty bummed out with that. <laughs> That's got to be disappointing. Yeah, no, that was pretty frustrating. You know, I I wanted to play through it, you know, just tape it up and, you know, ignore what yeah. all the doctors were saying. But Go full go full Ryan Kessler and just tell them to cut it off. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but no, they were they were pretty adamant about me. You know, in, in the long term, it really made sense to get a proper recovery. And, you know, I had to get surgery for that too, so. It made a lot of sense just to pass that one over and just get healthy and get playing games again. So, uh, yeah, of course, that first year was pretty frustrating. And then after the second year, I went to Minnesota's camp, and, you know, that was an incredible experience. You know, I had their, their dev camp in the summer and then their rookie, and then I got the, the main camp invite as well after that. So that was just a, an awesome experience, you know, especially once we make stand with all the NHL guys. You know, I think my, my stall in the dressing room was just, two or three over from Mark andre Fleury. So like I said before, it was pretty starstruck, you know, just seeing him and meeting him as well. well and, and of course, and then I'm thinking from a goalie coach perspective, you're getting to work probably with Richard Bachman, Freddie Shabbat, two guys who've had a ton of success. Richard, uh, one of our favorites from a, from a teaching perspective, some of his articles actually up at the website. Um, and Freddie Shabbat, a guy who Devin Dubnik told us about years and years ago as a great goalie coach, and we've had a chance to meet him. Again, short shorter environment do you, do you have takeaways beyond beyond being a few stalls away from Mark andre Fleur? are there elements anything in there that you added that might have been a little different that that you thought about putting into your game even as short as those experiences were yeah you know, working with Bacher and Freddie there was incredible you know, I love both those guys and you know they were super open to you know just wanting to help me in my game specifically you know they weren't they were trying to make trying to make me in the flurry or I'm trying to make me into any other goalie. They're you know, really just trying to help me in my game. And, you know, especially Bacher. You know, he was he was great. I remember following his career, you know, when he was still playing just a few years ago. And, you know, seeing how, you know, he's he's really lost none of that. You see him demoing the skating patterns and everything. And he's just flying around the crease, super crisp with all his movements. So it was pretty cool seeing, you know, how, you know, just a different goalie mind, you know, they 
I, I love talking to ex-goalies and current goalies as well. Just trying to learn anything I can from those guys. And, you know, Bakker is especially awesome for that. You know, and he, uh, I got a text from him after the tournament as well, congratulating me. So it's pretty cool seeing that. Nice. Great guy. And, and a guy who had a lot of success, you know, not to go back to the size thing, but a lot smaller than you and had a really good pro career. And when you talk to him, he, he just had an understanding of how to manage his size really well. And for all the focus that goes on size, I'll, I'll throw you a quote as well. We talked about tension being the enemy of goaltending. Um, as much as they seem to want to chase 6'4 and 6'5, if there's a perfect size, it might be not far from where you are. It's just the guys that are bigger get every shot and the guys that are smaller have to work a little harder to get it. How have you, other than having to deal with questions like this, how have you managed to, you know, sort of adapt your game to some of the perception about size as much as the realities of it? Yeah. You know, going back to Walker there, you know, I think that might, it's probably, probably part of the why, part of the reason why I like working with him so much is, you know, we shared some more traits as a goalie. You know, I remember watching him play before and always liked having him play as well. So I think a lot of that was part of why I liked him so much. And then, you know, in my game, you know, I think a lot of it is just playing with the mindset like you are 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, a lot of times you you don't need to be that big to, you know, fill the space. And, you know, I think a lot of it, I make up more than enough a lot of that size with, you know, my skating ability, my ability to read and react to plays as they're developing. So, uh, yeah, well, I think it's such a, such a term that's, you know, I know you guys didn't go hate it as well, but, you know, just the whole size doesn't matter. Thing. You know, I, I'm a huge believer in that. And, you know, I hope that can inspire young boys as well. They're, Growing up in situations, me. Well, I was going to say, I mean, you know, two years ago in the WHL or a couple of years ago in the WHL, we see the success that Dustin Wolf had. We see how he's translating it with an incredible first full season in the American Hockey League. He's followed that up again. We talk a lot about UC Saros. As much as being on that side, maybe on this, you know, below that 6'2, if that's the scale everybody works off of, leads to comparisons like, do you watch their games at all and look for anything? Or is that almost as ignorant a question by me, like stereotyping, right? Hey, you're not, you're under 6'2". Do you study all the other 6'2 goalies? I don't mean to be that way, but do you? are there things you can take away besides the inspiration of the fact these guys are proving it doesn't have to matter at the highest levels? Yeah, no, I've always been a big believer in you know, not having one favorite guy and you know, taking bits and pieces from you know, various goalies, whether they're you know, six six or five eleven. So, of course, I had my guys growing up, and you know, I still do have a handful of guys that I like to watch. You know, a few of them are Shostak and Saros, are probably my top two in the NHL right now. But honestly, when I was when Dustin Wolf was still in the league with Ever there, you know, I remember playing against him and watching him. You know, I just absolutely loved his game. I would always watch, even if our Seattle team was playing a different team, I'd, I'd be watching every game just to. You know, see what he would do tactically. And I was just so impressed by, you know, his skating ability, you know, his ability to play big. And I think I've probably said this before somewhere else, but he was just someone that I I looked up to as a goalie, you know, even though I was playing against him every few nights, you know, he was just an incredible guy to look up to. And a guy who almost didn't get drafted. I was at that draft. And yeah, so and let's then, move. Uh, sorry yeah. to jump in. Yep. Another guy that I watched a lot. When I was sort of first getting in the league, he was just getting out of it, but 
Beck Warren, when he was in Tri Cities, you know, he was, I just loved how his technical game was incredible. You know, I was a, a quote unquote smaller guy as well. You know, he was just the way he managed the crease and, you know, just everything about his game was just so, so pleasing to the eye to watch. Another guy, actually, it's funny. I was just going some through some clips from uh, a camp up in Kelowna that we take part in, the Net360 camp, and Beck was one of the guys up there working with Bacher. And um, yeah. I'm brain cramping on the mini, the Minnesota Wild goalie who is there up there with us right now. But so it's, yeah, I mean, small world, right? Small world. And the focus sometimes I think is, I'm with you, it's too much on side. So let's, let's switch off of that. I have yeah. one last question for you because I'm famous for last questions. But as I'm looking through the photos, Thomas, um, Burnaby Winter Club, you know, even even I think the U17 tournament, I'm seeing Vaughn. Then into the dub, I'm seeing CCM. Now, Power, you have checked almost every box. I'm just waiting for the Brian set to show up. Yeah. Um, talk to me about gear. Talk to me about how it's changed over the years and you know, what you look for, what you're, what you're after, what you're looking for in equipment. And is that part of the experiment? Just like you're working and trying new techniques and, you know, maybe the overlap wasn't there for, you didn't love it the first time. How have you sort of moved through these different gear options? Cause we're talking about not just different brands, but different styles of gear and found something that works for you. Yeah, totally. I knew it was going to be asked this question. You know, it's been switching a lot the last couple of years, but you know, I think all of that, like you said, is just having an open mind and being willing to try everything. You know, pretty fortunate playing in the Western League. You know, the the pro reps are always happy to send you out a set to try out in the summers. And, you know, of course, they'll want you wherever you're here. So, you know, I think, you know, I started with Vaughn. That's just what I wore, you know, back to the Brady Winter Club days and then my first year or two in the dub. And, you know, I think I, uh, I think I was just sent the CCM demo set in the summer and I liked it. And then, uh, funny enough, I changed my glove completely. It wasn't the, the comparable, it wasn't the comparable glove to the Vaughn glove I was using. That's the, <laughs> such a pretty funny. I, so did you go, where were you? 600, 590, 580? Where'd you go on the CCM glove? I ended up with the 600 CCM glove. Okay. But the reason, the reason I ended up with that was because I was on the phone with the, the CCM rep. And, you know, we were checking over all the boxes for the specs, we got the pads done, we got the blocker done. And then he asked me, like, what glove brakes do you want? And I told him, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know that much about gear. I haven't really felt a CCM glove in a while. So, you know, I, I just told him, you know, what does Wolfie use? You know, those were the words that came out of my mouth. <laughs> he told me the 600. I'm like, all right, let's do it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And then. Like Bauer's a different style of, of gear. Was there an adjustment period there? I remember writing the first review um, when Odin first came out and talking to pros who said, like, it, it's a different feel on the leg. You have to tinker with your strapping a little bit and get it dialed in for your game. You got to give it a chance. You got to give it some time because you might not set it up the same way, but you can achieve the same feel with it. Yeah, absolutely. I think another reason, you know, why I, have been so so easy to switch gear or switch brands the last couple of years is you know I'm someone who's really not picky at all about my gear. You know, you could throw me just go any set in the world as long as it's close to my size and you know I'd be able to throw it on and play with it. You know, I'm someone who's not really into all the specs and everything. I think my 
my current bower pads are pretty much stock aside from a, an extra an extra calf strap towards the bottom or something but you know i think uh you know it was, it was the same thing i was asked if i wanted to try bower set in the summer and i said sure why not and you know i ended up really liking it and you know, i think a lot of the reason why i like the bower pads right now is you know just the, the rigidity and the you know how solid the seals are you know i just i bower you know i was always kind of thrown off from bower Everyone was always talking about how the, the durability issues and stuff with previous uh, lines. Think things of the past. Those are things of the past. Funny. It's funny how that that perception can get out there. We actually have a set here that we've loaned out to junior and junior A goalies to as as they tried to get make that adjustment and wanted to sample it. We've got to be well over four hundred games and practices in this thing. The uh, the blocker is like black. The gloves and it's still going like it's funny because of that perception and yet because of the way the core is made it doesn't really break down from a core perspective yeah you're absolutely right you know i've i had a i had that same demo set from the start of summer until i think pretty much right until just for world juniors so i was wow. using it in games in seattle and you know, i only had one set of glove and blocker and, you know i think it's easily been the longest lasting year i've used so far you know it's i was Super impressed with that, and you know that's definitely the reason why I chose to stick with it. And you know, I just the like I said, the rigidity and the the seal that it provides is incredible. Even after using it for so many skates, yeah. You surprised a few teammates the first time the puck came off those pads compared to what you're in before? Oh yeah, they get frustrated all the time. They'll they'll be shooting for a pad for a rebound, and it just flies right over their stick. And sometimes out of the zone. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And I love, I, I've loved this conversation, Thomas. It's gone on longer than I said I'd keep you, but I can't thank you enough. I love how open you are to trying new things, whether it's new, working with new coaches, new tactics, new techniques, and even new gear. Uh, I think there's a lot of young goalies that could, uh, can learn from that, that mindset, that approach, that openness, as well as a lot of the things that you shared about your experience at the World Juniors. Uh, and I know a lot of them are going to love listening to this. So Thank you so much for taking the time and congratulations on an incredible tournament. I can't wait to see what's next for you uh, in the WHL and beyond. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Yeah, that, that was uh, cool. I didn't know him until this interview. I feel like I know him really well after listening to you guys have the conversation. Which is good because I didn't know him either, Darren. So um, I think that speaks to just the kind of person he is, uh, just very open. Uh, he shared a lot of details in his game. He shared a lot of details in his evolution, um, talked openly about some of the frustrations of the draft. I just, I mean, you know, we've seen this over the years, right? I think it's like Jeremy Swayman when he was in college before he, he made the NHL, where you listen to an interview like this, and in my case, do it, you know, meet a guy for the first time in an interview situation like this. and you're just kind of instantly a fan, right? Like I am now a Thomas Millich fan. Not that I wasn't before, I just didn't know him. Um, but I will be watching and following and cheering for his career from from, from now on for sure. I just love the fact that uh, he's his own guy out there. He he doesn't chase the game because uh, there's a perception that he's undersized. Like he's, he's still a conservative, reacts, reads the game, uh, plays it the right way, uh, no matter whether he's six foot eight or five foot two uh that's what i appreciate about him i love that point actually darren yeah i think you're quite right he plays to an extent a bigger man's game 
and yes. really showing that, as we say so often, you don't have to be huge to fill the net at a conservative depth. If you watch what the puck is seeing, the net is filled by most goaltenders in most situations. And so Thomas knows that, understands that, and plays a, a slightly more conservative game that gives him the opportunity to take shorter routes to pucks, to control the game a little bit better. Uh, I mentioned it when we were talking right after the World Juniors, how much I enjoyed that he could make what I think for other goaltenders would be very challenging saves look very simple because of the way he does it. The overlap that Kevin was talking about is one of those things where you might see another goaltender down in the RVH and it becomes a little bit more challenging situation both to contain the puck and maybe to fill the net space as well. So, uh, yeah, I loved watching Thomas. Um, I've watched him live a few times. We pump my son's tires uh, on here quite a bit. I need to tell you, Matthew's shortest stint ever in a Western Hockey League game was with Thomas Milich at the other end. Matty didn't <laughs> last very long at all. I'm not sure Thomas made a save before Matthew exited the game. But uh, yeah, I've been a big fan of his for a long time and uh, look forward to seeing more of him. Well, speaking of the overlap, uh, we did uh, have some video cut that we went over with Thomas for an article that'll appear for Ingle Premium members at IngleMag.com. And I think there are some really good lessons there as we you know, get into the debate about reverse and reverse VH and with a lot of talk around the world juniors about maybe it being overused or improperly executed leading to goals at that level and so it was very interesting to see the success that he had using an overlap and then reviewing the video with him um, and watching some of the keys for him you understand um, why he has success using it why he's comfortable with it part of it is making sure he picks the right spots it's not willy-nilly he talked about unpredictability and showing shooters a different look but it's not just like riverboat gambler i'm gonna throw this out here this time and that the other time there is an element of when each one applies the best for him and it was interesting so make sure you check out ingolmag.com over the next week or so as we get that sort of laid out and designed in the video cut because you know there's an element here it's not just an overlap he flattens out on the inside in certain situations and uh, a lot of people would call that and for those of you that have resisted this one just quiet down in the back. They would call that the panda. And oh, come on, pa sure come enough, on, Woody. A panda is just an overlap, isn't it? Isn't that what everybody says? It's the same thing. I've been teaching it, it forever. It is, but it, it's flattened out overlap purposely. And so if you watch how he executed, there were a lot of times where he did, and other times where he just squares up. But there are times where it gets to a certain spot and he does flatten out on purpose so that he can get across if it becomes a wrap. So that he's got more in the net for a push if the pass goes across, like all those different elements. And interestingly enough, we, you heard him talk about how he's such a big fan of Dustin Wolf in our interview. Um, that article at ingolmag.com and the fact that Dustin Wolf was a big part of it was one of the reasons, you know, he talked about a technique he wasn't comfortable with at the beginning, but became a big part of his game. Um, probably a little more willing to give that one the old college try and stick with it a little longer because he it was Dustin Wolf, the guy that was demonstrating that video in the original article we had about sort of that flattened overlap, the panda um, at ingolmag.com. So again, another cool moment to be re reviewing video of a gold medal winning performance and see a technique that was introduced to this young man because he's an in-goal premium subscriber. That, I got to say, like, I don't mean that as a feather in the cap moment. I'm not trying to, like, I don't have the back padding machine out. It's more that it feels pretty darn good um, 
to know that it's not just a business in Goal Magazine for us. It's a passion. And that some of the lessons, thanks to coaches who share with us, like Thomas Spear, um, that are willing to go over the things they're doing, there are young goalies out there that are getting better or adding things to their game that they might not otherwise have tried. And I like you guys can see I'm beaming right now. Like that's 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 a pretty cool thing. That's a pretty cool thing to hear. Um and so I can't wait to share that article just just as much as excited as I was about this interview and and I hope everyone enjoyed it. Uh there's more to come from Thomas Millich and I trust me, uh it's going to be worth visiting. I think it's a a much deserved pat in the back, but it's also a proof of how much learning that you guys do along the way you take it in you find out about it and then you pass it along to the world so it's the whole goalie uh union where you 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 pay it forward though what what we learn about this position and i think the one thing i want to emphasize here is that it's none of that is possible none of it if every time we see something we think must be different or not even that, just anytime we record a drill and we go to talk to the goalie coach afterwards, whether it's in the American Hockey League or the NHL or in the summers at the camps, none of this is possible if that goalie coach isn't like, yeah, here's what we're working on. Here's what we're trying to do. Here's where it fits. If they go into secrecy mode and hey, I get there are some things you want to protect. I fully understand that. And some guys don't want to share anything. And I respect that because they work hard at their craft to stay ahead of the curve. But it's the coaches that are willing to share those tidbits. You're like, Thomas Spear is a USA hockey guy. And something that he shared with us helped Canada win a World Junior Championship. But he's still willing to share it with the world because we have international subscribers. And as much as it feels like we're patting ourselves on the back, I think what we should be applauding is the openness that we get from so many goalie coaches uh, from all countries willing to go into these techniques and how to execute them the best and why they may or in some cases in a lot of cases may not work for every goalie. I just yeah, so so thank you to everyone that helps us continue to make in goal a resource that can lead to conversations like this. You know, it makes me think of another world that I was a part of for a while which is scientific research. And if every scientist out there kept all of the information that his lab is working on private just for them, uh, the world of science would never progress, right? The reason that we have all these great scientific um, breakthroughs in the world is because one lab does some work and then they report their findings to the rest of the world so that they can be worked on and replicated and then built upon. And so these guys being generous and sharing their knowledge and information with the rest of the goalie world allows other coaches to try things. They maybe tweak them a little bit. They maybe challenge them a little bit. And together, cliche for your book here, Darren, rising tide floats all boats, right? Everybody's going to get better together. And you can bet that uh, people who've seen what Thomas shared with the panda, for example, are going to make some, it's going to evolve over time and it will then trickle back and help those goaltenders that Thomas works with or other USA-based goaltenders. So. It's great for everybody. And thank you, uh, as Kevin says, to everybody who's willing to share with Ingol and willing to have the open mind, right? If you just sat there and saw um, these things happening, and if we were grumpy old men sitting in our chairs here, well, I've seen that before. What's the point in sharing that? I uh, think that's a great point. Yeah. So that, that, that to be open to it, not just uh, dismiss it. No, for sure. Like I've definitely learned over the years I, that uh, 
we'll look at something and I'll say to Kevin, oh, no, that, that one's not going to be all that interesting. People won't find that very, very cool, but we put it out and all of a sudden that's the thing that takes off or there'll be something that we think is new and exciting and is going to take off in the goalie world and it sort of, it just trickles out there. So you can never really predict what's going to, what's going to happen. You got to put it out there and let the world decide. Well, and I got to say, you know what, like as we're, as we're going down this road and, and, and sort of thanking Thomas Spear, um, in our old website, the original ingoldmag.com, before we revamped everything and went to the premium product, there's actually an article, and this might be like eight years ago, with Charlie McTavish, who is now the goalie coach, uh, goalie development coach, American Hockey League goalie coach for the Arizona Coyotes, Tucson Roadrunners, and Paul Schoenfelder, who's now the goalie coach for the Carolina Hurricanes. So two guys working now at the highest levels of professional hockey that weren't at the time that did a free article for us as, as reverse and RVH and, and all the transitions to that as a new tool were coming out, where I think they called it a reverse VH overlap. And in a lot of ways, um, it's the panda before the panda. Wasn't necessarily broken down to as specific a save situation as, as we did with Dustin Wolf when we presented that article, but wanted to make sure I gave them stick taps too, because there was a there was a foundation there, concept wise, um, that they had long before any of us ever ever talked about this. So it's you know it just there's there's so many good minds out there in goaltending, and we can't thank all the ones that have taken time over the years to share their thoughts with us. That's exactly the example I talked about there, Woody. Right, science. The original idea came out. It was what we see now before, but Thomas has then evolved it, tweaked it. And, uh, and as I said, when we were talking before, I have to give credit to Perry Alderbroom of Golden Manette, who showed me the overlap at least 10, maybe 12 years ago as well. So it's great to see the position evolving. And now we get to scratch our butt in the post. Mm, butt scratches. Feels good. Hey, uh, thanks to uh, Thomas Millich for joining us on the feature interview brought to you by Sensorina, Sensorina VR, the gear segment, uh, mask refurb. From Cam over at the Hockey Shop, source for Sports Langley, thehockeyshop.com. What's happening over at In Goal right now, Hutch? Pro Reads. Oh, yeah? You're not Hutch. You speak I'm helping Hutch. Hutch. Yeah, but he's done, <laughs> all, he's done all the writing, and he's super excited, so he wants to share it with everybody. He may be a little dad for the... Hey, he may be a little behind in his writing, and he can see Hutch struggling. Be like, has Woody done anything lately? Can he get him off his ass? I'm like, oh yeah, I did this. Uh, I love it. Okay, I got a few things. I'm halfway through too. We'll get there. Halfway, I, I got a lifetime of halfway throughs. <laughs> Sitting we around just my need house. around to it. Yeah, exactly. Hey, uh, great stuff uh, this week. Uh, awesome. Uh, amazing with Thomas Millich. Uh, so fresh after the World Junior Championship to be able to sit down with a gold medalist who was through the pressure cooker uh, quarterfinal, semifinal, and the championship game as he, uh, that's on top of what they went through early in the tournament uh, with Team Canada. Awesome stuff. Uh, really revealing. And thanks to you, our goaltenders and parents and supporters out there. Uh, we'll talk to you next week on In Goal Radio, the podcast. 